It's time for Decal Download, your source for news and information from the Georgia Department of Early Care and Learning. We'll hear from Commissioner Amy M. Jacobs and special guests to give you an update on all things Decal. This is Decal Download. Downloading now. And welcome back to Decal Download. I'm Reg Griffin, Chief Communications Officer here at the Georgia Department of Early Care and Learning. Commissioner Amy Jacobs is away from us this week. DECAL has joined the Georgia Department of Public Health in updating COVID-19 guidance specifically for Georgia child care facilities. That guidance, first released in August of 2020, covers everything from COVID-19 prevention strategies, promoting vaccinations, and consistent and correct use of masks. And today, we're looking into that guidance and uh, updating this ever-changing situation. Joining us to talk about COVID-19 guidance for child care in Georgia is Pam Stevens, Deputy Commissioner of Child Care Services, and Dr. Jenna Gettings. Uh, she is an Epidemic Intelligence Service Officer with the Centers for Disease Control in Atlanta, currently assigned as a school team lead with the Georgia Department of Public Health. Ladies, welcome to the podcast today. Thank you. Thank you. Well, let's talk, uh, Pam, first with you by explaining why it was important to have COVID-19 guidance specific to the childcare industry in Georgia. I know we first did this in August 2020, now updated uh, for this year. I mean, it's extremely important. Um, little kids are different than big kids. You know, everything we do is developmental. And so... Um, even this, we have to think of it in terms of, of development. And, you know, the way we social distance in childcare is completely different than in schools. You know, you cannot change a baby's diaper from six feet away. You cannot comfort a child or actually really even communicate meaningfully with kids from six feet away when, when they're little. And so our social distancing looks like cohorting, where we're making sure that the same group stay together the whole time that we're reducing exposure that way. But, you know, we never want to do anything to dilute the quality of care we're giving to young children. Even in this terrible situation, we still have to do a good job and meet their needs developmentally. So it's very different. You, know, you think about mask wearing is different. You know, how we, we have to use some of our own judgment with mask wearing. And, you know, even the way that, that families interact with the child care program, you know, with little kids, parents, families um, have more contact with the teacher because the child can't communicate. You know, it's you really need that that communication. You need that relationship with the with the caregivers. And and while while we're talking about that, let me just say too, I want to remind childcare providers that you know we do have a rule in childcare that uh, custodial parents have to be allowed into the childcare program, and, and that is happening right now. But please always remember you do you can limit it to the custodial parents. It doesn't mean you have to let the neighbor and the aunt, and the uncle, and the best friend in. You don't have to let everybody and their brother in your program. You can limit it to the custodial parents. You can maintain some control over who's entering your facility. Right. And I know we've had a lot of discussion on our social media about that. And just in general, talking with uh, child care providers uh, during the um, during the year and since this has been reinstated. Um, Pam, I know we've talked about this before as well, and I don't want to belabor the, the point because everyone's been through a very difficult year. But Kind of take us back to when all of this started happening in March of 2020, and we were meeting literally as an executive team here at DECAL every day, um, talking about what needed to be done, what assistance did childcare need, what, you know, how were we modifying our general practices and those sorts of things. Was it early on that you 
decided we really need some specific instructions for childcare and, and oh, started yeah. working? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think also, I think what's interesting to me in looking back is we had no idea how long this would be. I think that's the most interesting thing. So we made some pretty big decisions based on thinking this was a short-term situation that we would take care of and hopefully maybe eight weeks or something, and then we would all be back to normal. So some of those things made sense at that time. And now, you know, so there, were, there were executive orders, you know, all kinds of things, because it seemed like a very immediate problem that would be resolved in a reasonable amount of time. We were wrong. Obviously, this has been, you know, a year and a half. And so when you look at it in, in that context, you have to remember that then you have to make some other changes as well. I mean, we knew immediately that, you know, we had to be so careful with our youngest citizens in Georgia. I mean, we, we didn't know how this virus was going to affect young children. And luckily, early on, it seemed like that children, that young children, you know, it, it was, you know, the numbers were better for them. You know, we weren't, we weren't as frightened for them. Um, so that was good news. And our child care programs did such a great job doing everything they could to keep their staff, their families, their children, their children safe. Delta's a little different. Mm. You know, this has been an, another huge surprise. But yeah, I mean, I think this, what it tells us is this has been a learning experience and we have had to adapt and evolve along with the science. You know, we have to, we have to figure out what's going on. That's why our relationship with DPH is so important because we are not medical professionals and we need their advice and their guidance in how to do the best job we can during this situation. I know the commissioner often points that out when we're doing media interviews or, or talking with advocates. We're not medical professionals and um, we needed assistance. And that's why we've been working with local health departments, the CDC, Department of Public Health, really since the start of the pandemic 17 months ago. Now with the Delta variant, we're hearing more concerns about children and COVID and about hospitalizations of children. Uh, Dr. Gettings, how are we doing overall in Georgia at this point? And are we seeing more cases of COVID among younger children now? Hey, yes. So Unfortunately, we are seeing high numbers of confirmed COVID-19 among children in this past month in August of this year compared to earlier times in the pandemic. And that is in part due to the Delta strain that Pam mentioned. So in August, cases among children from zero to 17 years of age were 30 to 40 times higher compared to June, which was kind of our lowest point since the last surge in um, January. And it was two times higher compared to what we saw in January, which was our pre-Delta um, surge that we had here in Georgia. And we are, because of that, because we have more cases, we are seeing increases in hospitalizations as well. Um, what we haven't seen, thankfully, is increased disease severity um, at this time. We're still learning a lot. We're still very, you know, early in this current situation with Delta. So we have a lot to learn, but current evidence doesn't suggest that we have increased disease severity, but the fact that it is so much more transmissible and we are seeing higher cases um, is very concerning. So we can at least hold on to the fact, I guess, that children are resilient 
and so if they're getting it, they're, they're dealing with it, I guess, much like the flu. Yeah. So they, they do seem to be doing, um, you know, just as well as they have earlier in the pandemic. Um, so a recent study from CDC, which did include um, data from Georgia. So this is kind of going back to the hospitalization. It found hospitalization rates among children zero to four was 10 times higher in the middle of August compared to end of June, which is kind of comparing that peak to that trough that we had recently. Um, and, and what they found is that severe disease among children hospitalized when Delta was predominant, similar to earlier in the pandemic. Um, but, you know, I kind of caution we're still learning because we're still learning things about long-term complications of infection. Um, there are reports of what we're calling long COVID in children, as well as really what we try to keep our eye on is this multi-system inflammatory syndrome in children. So again, still learning about it, um, but it is, you know, a very serious disease that causes hospitalization um, that parents need to be aware of and think about. One question that comes up a lot uh, is about vaccines and uh, vaccines specifically for children uh, 12 years of age and under. What's the latest on uh, on that? I keep hearing, well, it's coming soon. And then you kind of hear, no, it might take a little while. What's what's the latest? Yeah, so that's a really hard one to nail down, unfortunately. So We've got three vaccines here in the U.S. Um, that are approved, at least under emergency use, and those include Pfizer and Moderna and the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. I do know that Pfizer and Moderna both currently have ongoing clinical trials going on um, with different age groups. So Pfizer, for example, is hoping to have the results of their trial for children 5 to 11 years old as early as this month. Um, I did read that FDA did request additional data from them, so it potentially could be pro prolonged a little bit. And that's why these, you know, these timelines are so hard to, you know, identify. Um, they do have younger age group trials, two to five years and six months to two years that are ongoing as well. And they're really hoping to have those finished um, by this winter. Moderna, similarly, um, has a trial for children 6 to 11 that they're hoping to submit by the end of the year. So once those companies submit their applications to the FDA, the FDA is going to need several weeks themselves to review all of this information and then the um, you know, additional agencies are going to have to take a look at the data, take a look at the recommendations by the FDA so that they can make those recommendations. So, um, you know, we, we, we don't know. Hopefully by early next year, we'll have some um, vaccines that are approved for these younger age groups. Yeah. We are talking about COVID and our kids uh, on this week's edition of Decal Download. We have updated our guidance with the Department of Public Health. Uh, and posted it to our website at decal.ga.gov. You can look on the homepage. We've got a banner there. You just click on it. It'll take you right to the latest guidance. And Pam, one of the uh, common questions we hear is how and where confirmed cases of COVID in child care programs should be reported? And, and does an entire facility need to close if the affected person has been isolated to a single classroom? 
So no, the host facility doesn't need to close in that case. And that's why, again, cohorting is so important because if you know who the child has been exposed to and you've kept those groups small and you've kept those groups isolated, you know, just to their own group, then you know exactly what you need to do. Now you do report, if there's a positive case of COVID, you do report that to us at DECAL, but you're also supposed to call your Department of Public Health and let them know. And they will give you very specific advice about your own situation. Our guidance also helps because it gives you general ideas of of what you should do, but we definitely encourage you to um, contact your local public health department. And I'll say, you know, I think their programs are doing a really good job with this. They they don't want a spread in their buildings. You know, they're trying to do everything they can to uh, keep everyone safe. And so I think we're doing a good job with that. But again, it's hard to, to, to keep those groups really small and keep them separate. I know it is. Uh, we know we have heard over and over again that childcare is having so many staffing issues right now. The whole world is having staffing issues mm-hmm. right now. Mm-hmm. In childcare, it's really hard. So it's it's tough when you think about giving breaks to teachers and using shared space. But the more you do that, the less likely you are to have to shut down either your whole program or an entire, you know, half of your program or a wing of your program, whatever, if um if you do have a positive case. So, you know, we really encourage you to keep keep working in cohorts. Right. And um, I, I guess that expands to uh, playground time, uh, breaking for lunch, all of that, try to keep those groups as small as possible. Right. Right. And it's hard because I think, you know, like, you know, we were talking about earlier, Dr. Giddings was saying, we felt like it was getting better in June, right? We, we were almost ready to, to let our guard down. We were almost ready. And it just feels like such a step backward you know, that we're having to even, you know, ramp it up even more. And, and I hate that. And again, especially in light of all the staffing situations that um, we're having in childcare. Right. Along those lines, we are seeing many of the K through 12 public schools moving to virtual learning in different communities for, you know, weeks, maybe even a month at a time. And, and Pam, how are public schools and childcare programs different? How are they treated differently? Something child care should follow the lead of public schools. Well, yeah. And, and that would work if we had like robots to take care of children or something that we could <laughs> do it virtually. That would be awesome. But there is no virtual child care for essential workers. I mean, people who we need to go to work have to go to work. You know, if you want to be able to go to the hospital, if you're sick, you need doctors and nurses and staff. And so we have to have physical places for the children to go. And, you know, just again, you have to hand it to the childcare community. They have been there since day one. I mean, they, you know, took the risk and knew that if everything was going to continue to function, we had to have childcare. And, and it was so important. And I actually think childcare has really filled in some of the gaps because when schools go virtual and you are an essential worker and you can't work from your kitchen table, you have to go somewhere. School agents are going to childcare programs as well to do their virtual learning. We have just seen how important the role of the child care program plays in the community. And again, especially in the school age community, it's hugely important. Yeah. We've asked a lot of them when you really yes. look back over the yes. past year. Pretty amazing. Yes. Um, let's kind of delve into some of the guidance uh, that we're right. giving to child care programs. One of the things we say right off the top is that vaccination is currently the leading public health prevention strategy to end the COVID-19 pandemic and deal with the Delta variant. 
But Dr. Gettings, aren't we still seeing a lot of vaccine resistance? Yes. So vaccines are absolutely the best protection that we have, not only against infection with this virus, but also serious illness or even just development of symptoms, hospitalizations, and deaths. But unfortunately, we do still see a lot of hesitancy regarding these vaccinations. At this time, 55% of eligible Georgians are not fully vaccinated. And if you look down at that breakdown by age group, the percentage of the population that has received at least one dose is highest in our older age group. So our 65 and plus um, have some have pretty good vaccine coverage, um, but we see our lowest coverage in the younger age groups, including our adolescents. And you and I were talking yesterday about this particular question. And, and uh, the other issue I think that people are talking about is what if I'm vaccinated and I still get COVID? Um, are we seeing, I know we are seeing some situations like that. How do you, how do you explain that? Yeah. So, you know, unfortunately, no vaccine is 100% effective. That's true for any disease that we're vaccinating against. The problem that we have with COVID, it's so, so very widespread that unfortunately, even with very good vaccines, we're going to see what we call a breakthrough infection, which someone who's fully vaccinated gets exposed and still becomes infected um, with the virus. And so, you know, that is unfortunate, but that's the reality. And the other thing to know is, as I mentioned, if you're fully vaccinated, even if you do get infected, you are so much more less likely to develop symptoms. You are much less likely to end up in the hospital and you are very much less likely to end up dying from this. And we do have some information on our website that kind of breaks down the comparison between, you know, these different things, hospitalization and death among fully vaccinated versus unvaccinated. And the difference is remarkable. Hmm. Good to note. By the way, I got my flu shot the other day. Is that a good idea? That's a fantastic idea. And in you can get, even if you're still getting going through your vaccination series for series for COVID-19, you can still go ahead and get your flu vaccine at the same time. I just want to say we're supportive of vaccines around here. I got the Johnson and Johnson early on in March. In fact, I'm kind of looking for a booster somewhere in this time frame. So we'll see what happens with that. Pam, another question that comes up, our current guidance on the use of masks in childcare programs. And we're suggesting masks even for people who are vaccinated in some cases. Yes, because of those breakthrough uh, cases that Dr. Gettings was just speaking about, that all adults that enter the childcare program, we recommend that they be masked. That's the safest thing to do. That's how you can protect everyone. And as far um, as children, if you're under two, we're not going to, no masks for kids under two. And then we're really asking for childcare providers to use their best judgment on masking other children at different ages, because you know, it could go either way. <laughs> if kids use masks correctly and keep them on their face, that's an awesome thing. But if they drool and have a runny nose all over them and then wad them up and put them in the um, science center, and then another kid comes and puts it on that's probably worse than not wearing a mask at all. So we have to understand children behave, child behavior. I mean, you know, we've all seen, you know, a kid you know, decides to wipe their nose with their mask and then leaves it on the top of the slide. 
And then another kid goes, oh my gosh, it's a, you know, mermaid mask. I'm going to put that on. I mean, it's just, you know, we have to know our classroom, know our children's behavior and know what makes sense for the age group we're dealing with it and the particular children we're dealing with. Again, if they can be masked, if they're school agers, yes, absolutely. But I think we have to use our best judgment in making sure that um, we don't make it worse. You know, we have gotten to the point in this process where the masks are pretty creative. Uh, you could yes. find a mermaid mask. Yes. <laughs> there are all yes. kinds of things out there. Oh, absolutely. You can find some really, you know, with the, and, you know, with Halloween coming, they're going to be so <laughs> excited about the different masks. And, now all um, of a sudden it's inclusive. Everybody yeah. loves it now. Yeah, exactly. So we just don't want to, mask sharing is not, not a great idea. So no. um, <laughs> never a good idea. That's true. No. Yes. Um, and, and you mentioned earlier about, in a childcare setting, you can't change a diaper and also do social distancing. And we recognize social distancing is not always possible or practical in childcare. So we really stress the importance of cohorting. Again, can you explain um, what that means? What, what, what are we saying? It's kind of an education word. More sure. Than. So if we're cohorting, that means that we have, let's say, you know, I'm the teacher in a two-year-old classroom. That means that my two-year-old classroom is always together. We're not ever combining with another class. We're not eating lunch with another class. We're not on the playground with another class. And that the same teachers are caring for those children all day, every day. That they're not, I mean, and again, sometimes you can't avoid somebody sick. You have to have a substitute. I'm not saying that. But as much as possible, we're not having several different teachers break the teachers for bathroom breaks and lunch. We're not, you know, we don't have someone who's actually breaking everybody throughout the building. So basically, you have someone going to every classroom. It is difficult. Don't, I don't want to even pretend like it's not hard to do this, you know, the best way you can. And even, you know, given the fact that somebody might get sick and you might have to have a substitute, don't give up on it altogether. Do the best you can about keeping that group together as much as you can and not letting them be exposed to other adults or children in your program. Again, that's not easy. I'm not um, even pretending like it's easy, but the more you can keep, kids together and limit the exposure, the safer everyone is going to be. Right. Makes sense. Dr. Gettings, we talk a lot about COVID in the general sense, but what are the specific symptoms that parents and families should really be looking for? Sure. Uh, unfortunately, COVID-19 symptoms such as fever, cough, runny nose, fatigue, vomiting, and diarrhea are very similar symptoms with flu and other common respiratory illnesses and probably ones that parents have already seen and dealt with. Um, loss of taste or smell is more likely to be with covid we don't see that very commonly with the other respiratory viruses, um, but it's not always present as a symptom. So with these high levels of COVID-19 transmission and with other respiratory illnesses circulating, as we're approaching flu season, it can be really difficult or almost impossible to distinguish COVID-19 from other illnesses without testing for COVID-19. So if you have a known exposure, your child has a known exposure to someone with COVID-19, it does make it more likely that those symptoms might be due to COVID-19. These individuals should be tested. Um, so I mentioned another condition earlier, um, and I want to give a little bit additional information about that. So really parents and caregivers should be aware of symptoms that are associated with the multi-system inflammatory syndrome in children. You may have heard it referred to as MIS-C. It's a relatively rare condition, thankfully, um, where 
different body parts become inflamed often after having COVID-19 or having been exposed to someone with COVID-19. Children with Miss C have fever and they may have abdominal pain, bloodshot eyes, chest pain, diarrhea, vomiting, fatigue, headache, low blood pressure, neck pain, or rash. It can be very serious and parents should have their child evaluated by a healthcare provider if they have any symptoms of Miss C. All right. Good to know on that. And along with COVID, we're also seeing problems with RSV this year. Yes, unfortunately. So the pandemic has disrupted the normal patterns that we see in a lot of our seasonal respiratory viruses, not just including RSV. So normally RSV peaks in winter, you know, December, January, February, um, we're already seeing, you know, high numbers of RSV in August and September of this year. So you know, it's something that's always been around and um, parents and childcare providers are likely familiar with it. But what they need to know is we're seeing it at different times right now. And that has to do with our changes in behavior. You know, we're wearing masks. And so it's it just changes how these other respiratory viruses are transmitted. And so they are starting to show up at different times this year. And I know, uh, obviously, hand washing, good hygiene, always important in child care settings, even more so with COVID and the Delta variant. It's always important. I mean, I, I, you know, part of child care is preventing infectious disease because we have little babies in group care. So, you know, anytime you're talking about group care, it's always important. I mean, we're, COVID is not the only thing we're trying to prevent in child care. There are many things. You know, RSV has been around forever. You know, we, um, uh, we, We've been dealing with that for a long time now. So um, I think we're good at it. You know, I mean, I, I, you know, of course, everyone is extremely vigilant right now about this, but childcare has always been good about this. I mean, we understand that when you have group care with little children and with children who put things in their mouths and with all, you know, the contact they have that, you know, we have to keep the environment clean. We have to keep hands clean. Um, I think we're good at it. Uh, you know, probably this has just reinforced everything we've already been encouraging in childcare and that they have been doing a really good job with. Mm. And we know uh, the kids love playgrounds. Any important notes in our guidance around those areas during COVID? It's, it's still the cohorting. You know, we love them to be outside. You know, and I will say, let me just as you know, it's really hot still, but it's going to get cooler soon. And, you know, we always encourage Childcare providers to let kids play outside whenever possible. When you know, unless the weather is just absolutely not permitting it. If it's chilly outside, it's still good to go outside. We want children to be outside. It's wonderful to be outside. So um, we just are asking you if you can, you know, just try really hard not to share playground space with um, other classrooms, just to keep, you know, again, we just keep that message as strong as we can, just cohort and keeping the same kids together. Because again, in the end, if you have a positive case, it's going to affect a a much smaller portion of your program. Yeah. Such a refreshing thing though, particularly with the humidity dropping, temperatures dropping a little bit, just great to get outside. And it kind of, you know, uh, gives the kids a second wind, I think, when they're able to get out there and do that. Um, Well, you can find all of our information on our website, decal.ga.gov. We have a banner there uh, about the updated guidance from DECAL and the Georgia Department of Public Health. 
And Dr. Gettings, we always love having uh, you guys with us because, as we said, you are the expert. So we kind of bring you all of our questions here. And while we have you, uh, what are you hearing about booster shots to those already vaccinated? And what about this alternative medication we're hearing about, like Invermectin? What's your guidance on that? Sure. So the FDA and the CDC Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices, which is the group that comes up with all of our immunization protocols and recommendations. Um, So they're currently evaluating available data to determine whether they recommend a booster shot for individuals who have already been fully vaccinated. So these booster shots are meant to give an extra boost to the immune system because our immunity can decrease over time. So we're still waiting to see whether booster shots will be officially recommended. And if they are, they'll probably be available um, this fall. Okay. Uh, the, uh, the other thing that you mentioned, ivermectin. So this is actually a deworming medication used both in human and veterinary medicine. Um, it is not an approved medication for the treatment or prevention of COVID-19. There's insufficient data to recommend using ivermectin for the treatment of COVID-19. Importantly, when it's used incorrectly, ivermectin can cause illness that may require medical treatment. COVID-19 vaccination is safe and the most effective means to prevent infection and protect against severe disease and death from COVID-19. Yeah, I just, I'm uh, scratching my head over ivermectin. I'm just trying to figure out how it even entered into the conversation. At what point did someone do this and then start, I don't know, blogging about it or something? I'm not sure what happened with that, but it's um, fascinating to watch. I mean, I think everybody wants anything, you know, that, that seems to help. Got one more question for you before we uh, let you go. And, and that is, I'm, I'm just picturing you in your social life being cornered by people in various scenarios with questions. What's the most common question you hear uh, in your personal life when they say, oh, there she is. Let's go. <laughs> Let's go ask her. Uh, I am getting, should I get vaccinated? The answer is 100% yes. And then the second question I'm asked, which vaccine should I get? I'm like, anyone that you can get. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Good to know. Can I add one thing, Rich? Absolutely, Pam. Um, Wear your mask correctly, please. It is not a chin strap. Good point. Over the nose, over the mouth. (laughs) Yeah, let's just, if we're going to put it on, let's just put put it on correctly, please. We all appreciate it. Simple things. Yeah. But, uh, and yet we take it for granted. So, well, again, uh, we just want to thank everyone at the Georgia Department of Public Health uh, from Dr. Toomey uh, out to the entire team. And um, you guys have been great, Dr. Gettings. We appreciate everything uh, that you do. And uh, the information is all posted there for you. Decal.ga.gov. Look for the banner, click there. Uh, you can print it out, have the information for you, share it with your staff. If you're in a child care program, parents, if you want to know what's happening on the other side of that wall and the guidance that we're giving, you can, uh, it's all there for you as well. Pam and uh, Dr. Gettings, thank you so much for uh, updating the information today. Thank you. thank you for having us. Now your questions from the water cooler. Hi, this is Leanne Hendricks with the Audits and Compliance Division in Atlanta. My question for Commissioner Jacobs is, what is your favorite social media app and why? 
Uh, Leanne, I think that's the first time I've ever gotten that question. Uh, that's a good question. I'm, I guess this is considered old school now, but Facebook is probably what I'm most comfortable with. So <clears throat> I am on Facebook and I don't post a lot. So I'm more of a Facebook stalker. Um, but I, I think um, that's where I keep up with um, all things going on with, with friends and family, especially those that I don't see very often. I know that I think that's old school now. I think that's out of date, right, Reg? You're, you're definitely more into this than I am. You know, Facebook continues to be the most popular social media app oh, really? in the country. Okay. Yeah. Even though, you know, and, and you could sort out where the kids are going. Where are the cool kids hanging out? Some people say Instagram. Uh, okay. Some people say, you know, like TikTok. TikTok. Yeah, I can't figure that out. <laughs> uh, but Facebook, yeah, continues to be the, the bigger okay. number. Okay. So I'm not that old. You're okay. right there. <laughs> okay. And it's time to give you a chance at winning a nice prize in the decal download quiz. We'll draw one name from all the correct answers to this question. Email your response to decaldownload at decal.ga.gov. Here's the question. What state agency did decal work with on updating guidance for childcare programs on COVID-19? What state agency did decal work with on updating guidance for childcare programs on COVID-19. Send your answer to decaldownload at decal.ga.gov. You could win a prize from Chick-fil-A, Fun Spot America, Georgia Lottery, Gwinnett Stripers, The School Box, Six Flags Over Georgia, Stone Mountain Park, The Roof and Skyline Park at Pont City Market, Wild Adventures Theme Park, and more. We're adding more prizes every day. So answer the question, decaldownload, decal.ga.gov. We'll draw one name from all the correct answers. You could be our winner. Thanks for tuning in to Decal Download. For more information, visit our website at decal.ga.gov. The conversation continues on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and Pinterest. Follow Commissioner Jacobs on Twitter at C-O-M-M Jacobs.